Hi, this is Lauren Rose from the It Hurts to Mom podcast. Did you know that up to 80% of our physical pain is actually from emotional pain? Don't miss your opportunity to get my new workbook called Exploring How Your Emotions Relate to Your Physical Pain. In it, you'll consider how trauma, trapped emotions, grief, and lack of forgiveness might be contributing to your chronic pain. This is not to say your pain isn't real. Actually, it's the opposite. Your pain, emotional and physical, is very real. It's only to say that there's a significant mind-body connection that most of us don't realize. Get your workbook today for only $7 at ithurtstomom.com under the shop category, because once you determine the connection, you might be surprised at the extent that emotions are contributing to your pain, and then you can start to heal what's trapped inside. And while you're there, don't forget my freebie, 30 Ways to Relieve Pain Without Taking a Pill, ithurtstomom.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the It Hurts to Mom podcast. I'm Lauren Rose, and today we're talking to Christina Lucia. Christina is an artist, creator, and author who ignites the imaginations of children and their parents through her limited edition Animals and Touching Storybooks. She is writing and illustrating her children's book series. Curiously curated creations of Christina Lucia features a magical array of warm, cuddly, and comforting creatures, along with storybooks that help parents and kids improve their communication and deepen their relationships. Thank you for coming on, Christina. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So what in the world ex- inspired you to write children's books? <laughs> so ironically, I first started by creating characters. I was going through a healing, going through the healing of a breakup, me, among other things. And I'm from an Italian family. And my mom was always saying about her grandma, my great mother, great grandmother, who was a crocheter. And I thought, you know what? Why don't I just learn to crochet? I already do all these creative things. And so that's how I started. I'll put pulling Bella out, my main character. Aww. So I started crocheting blankets and I started uh, I started creating blankets and I started creating loveys. And one of my friends who actually his oldest daughter is the one I gifted my first crochet blanket to. When I was injured, my he and his wife, excuse me, he and his wife um, were expecting their second. And I thought, well, I have to do something for the older child too. And that's where I got my first inspiration to create my first teddy bear. And so that's how the stuffies came along. And through my process of healing and realizing I didn't belong in my day job, et cetera, and going through that pivot, I got a sign from my mom that I was, I needed to pursue these characters. And, you know, a lot of people gave me a hard time. They kept saying, well, you're hand making them. Are you going to find people to help you? It could be too costly to manufacture, blah, 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 blah. And I kept saying, I held my ground and I said, the characters are going to lead me to an answer. And I had been thinking about blogging for so long, but I couldn't, you know, it's one of those things where it simmers in your spirit and it comes, it just arises at the right moment. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to write a blog and I'm going to tell stories to the characters. I'll tell my own stories and I'll tell a story to the characters. And through writing and working on my messaging, I realized, oh, I'm supposed to write a children's series. And I've always been an artist. I started formally drawing when I was seven years old. I started training. Mm-hmm. And so art's always been in my life. I've always been creating and drawing and studying drawing. All my degrees are in the arts. <laughs> That's all I do. That's all I've done. And I realized, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. And when I realized the foundational 
and the strategy piece of writing the books. And the other thing that made me realize how important the books were, not only for my message and for me is I don't have them on my website because of copyright, but it's something I do for people like for my nephew and my goddaughter, et cetera, is there are very famous characters I create. And one of the famous characters I've, I've crocheted is the hungry caterpillar. I've actually designed a hungry caterpillar stuffy and lovey and my stuffy moves. And I've actually designed it an ornament, an ornament version of him too. Cause my brother-in-law is a huge fan. So I tell my sister, the papers for my nephew, the ornaments for my brother-in-law. <laughs> That's kind of our joke. But when I, when I run around the city taking pictures with Bella and, you know, Uncle Caterpillar or Minnie Mouse or Batman, whatever I've created for that special child, I see how people grab, especially the hungry caterpillar, everyone gets super excited. And I was like, ah, oh, the book, because reading books is such an intimate thing. It, whether it's us reading on our own and I am an avid reader as well. It's a very intimate experience. It's a very internal experience. And even when we're reading out loud, it still has that same intimacy, especially if we're reading it out loud to a child or reading out loud to a loved one. And when you're reading something over and over again, as so many parents and aunts like myself do, which I'll be honest, as the aunt, I'm coming and going, so I love it. But these characters get in your system and our imaginations spark. And there's something beautiful about that. And there's something beautiful about books because we can create a voice in our head. We can create how they, you know, there, there are so many possibilities that aren't laid out for us right away that we have the opportunity to play with, which is when you add in the layers of the toy or the puzzle or the other versions of the book, we're able to like add a bit of ourself to it, which is really beautiful. And understanding that I thought, oh, what a better way for me to be invited as a writer and illustrator into someone's home, into the quality time with them and their child. So that's what really solidified it is that I wanted also to, I realized that because I struggled for a long time finding my finding my niche, finding my place, I realized, you know what, this isn't just about me anymore. Um, you know, I am an aunt, I am a godparent and I'm a, and I'm an aunt to many others too, <laughs> many other non-blood related children. And I, I thought, no, I I'm setting, I, I'm setting an example. I'm setting an example that it's possible to be your true self, that your true self doesn't have to look the way it looks for everybody else. And you can pave your own path and that's okay. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I love just the intimacy that you're talking about of being in somebody's home, right? When they're putting mm -hmm. their child to bed, I, that's just a really cool concept of how special that is to be invited in. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's something beautiful. Cause I know at least when I when I'm with my, my family, my sister has a two-year-old boy, my nephew. And, you know, the, one of the ways I help is like, I'll pick up a book and start reading it while he's eating or if she's dressing him or something. And I kid you not, it was Christmas night. I picked up one of his favorite books and I started reading it and he took it out of my hands and he gave it to my sister because he wanted her to read it. 
However, then I took over dressing him. And it was something beautiful about us tag teaming, but it it did. I mean, he's a good boy. Like, don't get me wrong. He's, mm-hmm. he's a, a wonderful child, but reading does relax us. You know what I mean? And I saw how it's just so beautiful seeing him focus. And it's, there was other book, of course, like Hungry Caterpillar, where we're a little bit of and Hungry Caterpillar people, but he will become a Bella fan. <laughs> he will <laughs> become a Bella fan as well. I pray. And, um, but there is something beautiful because I gave him a Hungry Caterpillar book where it was Peekaboo Hungry Caterpillar, where the Hungry Caterpillar is in a different place in the Christmas tree every in every page. And after within the first round, you know, we read it to him. And then the second round, he he got it. He picked it up. And, and so he pointed out and whether it was me or my sister reading to him, he would do that. And there was something beautiful about watching him learn and watching him oh I like the click those click moments you know and it was really fun and there's nothing better than a child going more my nephew does the hand motion as well as says more and there's something beautiful about that you know there's something really beautiful and there's other so many other books that I've gifted over the years to other kids that are are just so magical and it's really great like I I genuinely enjoy it when a child asks me to read again and it's funny because like one book I, I'll share too is um where the wild things are mm-hmm. uh it scared me as a child like the the illustrations like it didn't sit well with me but as an adult I actually do genuinely enjoy it and one of my friend's children loves it and again it wasn't again again on Christina read it read it read it and you know, and of course I have my own commentary, you know, cause there are pages where it's just illustrations. And so, you know, I have my own commentary and I, <laughs> I do my thing, you know, but there is something beautiful about revisiting these classics with the next generation. I, I feel we, we do see something different and writing an illustrator in my own series. Like I pray that will happen because when I am writing, I am thinking about both sides. I've met several authors, some of them, are my idols. Some of them have be, are, are, are more in my space where they're just starting and they become good friends. And, you know, it's really a beautiful, um, a beautiful group of people. And it's, it's interesting seeing, but keeping that in mind, like it, it's as much for the parent as it is for the child. So that's what I do when I write. Cause I actually met Catherine Holliburd. I interviewed her for my blog and I was like, totally girl fanned out the, she's the author of, uh, Angelina Ballerina and Twinkle for, I can't just assume everyone knows who she is because I'm like, of course you should know who she is. She's my idol. And um, but but I remember interviewing her and she said that I can tell you how many parents come up to me and say, you know, I read your book like a hundred thousand times. Like I have it memorized now. And so, mm-hmm. you know, hearing it from someone who's been in this business for, I believe, I believe Angelina Ballerina is like over 30 years. I believe the original came mm-hmm. out in 86. So like, it's been out for a good chunk of time. And it's, uh, you know, hearing that from her, hearing that, like, I'm like, okay, this is something I need to listen to. Like, this is important to consider. <laughs> if she's hearing it, I'm going to hear it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and I love that your, your books have a, a, a large, important purpose, which is improving communication between, yes. you know, parents and, and children. So why do you think that communication is so vital? I believe it's vital because we have fuller conversations and there's fuller opportunity to recognize each other's energy and have an understanding. 
a lot of times, and I've noticed this in my own personal journey too, when I personally started my own healing journey, I had no idea how to talk about my feelings. I remember my therapist asking me, how are you feeling? And I had no idea how to respond. And it's a skill. It is a skill to talk about your feelings. How my healing journey has evolved as well is we have, all of us have, even children have it, but it's more visible. I would say to my, to my understanding, at least from my understanding, it's more vis- visible in adults because of our because of what, because of our, what's happened to us, you know, because of what's happened to us and our choices to deal with that because of the legacy. That's the best way I can put it in like a, a tidy, a tidy box per se, but we all have an inner child and a critical parent. And I realized by doing that, doing this work and constant, it's a constant work in progress. It's not perfect. It's never going to be done. Same thing with communication, same thing with talking about our feelings but the reality is, is we have to, not, I shouldn't say we have to, but the ideal situation is to live in harmony with your inner child and critical parent. And with that said, also live in harmony with other people's critical parent and inner child, because they do come out, they come out a lot. And most comedies that we have on television, a lot of movies, when you see, if you really look at the dynamics of characters, a lot of writing balances out the critical parent and inner child. And it is a skill. It is a constant work in progress to be able to identify in others as well as ourselves and be respectful of that. And also know, okay, this is my boundary. This is where I walk away. And with that said, that's why I believe communication is so important because yes, we're, we're still evolving in our communication. Well, so is the child. And we're more able to recognize that and give people space to feel what they feel. Like something I do in all of my books is that Bella does go through negative feelings. And there are several children's books that either I've heard of or I know of where I don't want to say they do this. I'm not trying to point fingers at people, but what I hear a lot from adults, especially is this compression of the negative feelings. It's like, get rid of the feelings, get rid of it you're not going to get rid of your negative feelings. It's like you're in, it's the same as your inner child and critical parent that I just said. It's about working through the negative feelings to get to the positive. Yes, there is a point where you have to get over that hill and that's something that you need to determine for yourself. And that's why in each book, Bella does go through those feelings of frustration, aggravation, fear, et cetera, and really works through them. And there's an adult, whether it's one of her parents or another special adult, an aunt or, aunt or uncle that allow her to feel those negative feelings and relate to her as an adult, say, well, I still get scared and not, I got scared as a child. I get scared now as a grown woman. I get scared now as a grown man. I go through this now as a grown up. that relatability. And when we're able to have that relatability, it's really beautiful. And you know, I know from personal experience for myself, like when I do, when I am able to work through my negative feelings, I do find my way to the positive. But again, like I can't sit here before you and your audience and say, I'm never going to have a bad day again. I, cause like, no, we're human. We're going to have bad days and it's okay to have a bad day. You know, it's okay. And I've had people like I was a perfect example. I was getting advanced reviews for my books and I beat my goals, which is awesome. I'm so super stoked about that. 
in the process of getting my goals, I, I was, I'll admit, I was anxious because people say they're going to write your review and it takes them a year or day to send it in. Meanwhile, I'm sending out 10 plus emails a day, seven days a week, <laughs> like trying to get these reviews and like juggling who have I heard of, who haven't I heard of, da, da, da. But anyways, I remember a friend told me, oh no, don't stress. Mm-hmm. And I, because of my healing work, I, I thought, okay, you have a choice. You can get even more frustrated or you can talk about it. And I wrote to her, I said, well, you know, I'm frustrated because I'm waiting for 30 plus people to send in their reviews. And she was one of them. And she actually sent in her review um, within the day. And so there is something about owning our negative feelings. And if someone is trying to squash them, going to them and saying, well, hey, this, this is why I'm having a bad day right now. This is why I'm frustrated right now. And, you know, as children, they're learning the same as ways we're learning. And I do believe there is a beauty in giving that space. And it's not perfect. Like I get it. I see it with my own family. I see it with my friends. Like we're human. We all get tired. We, We all need space. And there's nothing wrong about that either. There's nothing wrong with needing a break. You know, I, I realized like my parents' generation, I won't speak for everybody, but there was this martyrdom, like, no, I have to do everything. And, you know, I realized, okay, I'm grateful that they did so much and that they did that. But at the same time, I also realized like, as I'm going into this stage in my life, you know, I have to be realistic. Like I do need to ask for help. Like I do need to own my feelings because otherwise like it will, will repeat into the next generation. I'm going to, I'm going to force some trauma on somebody that's unnecessary. And I have a responsibility to take care of myself and to be authentic. I love that you're encouraging that open space for children to feel those quote unquote negative feelings. I mean, feelings Mm -hmm. are just feelings. I don't know if they're positive or negative. They just are right. And we do that with our family because I grew up in an environment where I wasn't allowed to have those negative feelings. I was, what I was told by my dad was you're just a child. You have no reason to be sad or you have no reason to be angry as if I wasn't a human being, right? I was just a child. So therefore I was inferior and wasn't supposed to have feelings or thoughts or or opinions or preferences. And so we work really hard with our daughter to keep that environment open so that she's allowed to feel whatever she's feeling. Now she has to behave in an appropriate way when she's feeling anger or, or what have you. And she has to be respectful, but she's allowed to feel whatever she feels because she can't help how she feels. absolutely yeah and it's 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 up to us as the adults as the parents as the aunts and uncles to model what it's like to talk about your feelings what it's like to handle our feelings in an appropriate way what it's like to have coping mechanisms because kids don't know that kind of stuff it's not intrinsic in us we've got to teach them we've got to model that yeah absolutely absolutely it's ironic you say that because I grew up in an environment a similar environment where I was told not to feel, I actually had, one of my parents actually took my love language and made it into a complete negative because they didn't understand it. Like, so one of my love languages, how I like to be loved is words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. And my mom saw that I had low Mm self-esteem because she's not a words of affirmation person on either side of the love languages. And it makes me sad. 
Um, it makes me sad. And I was ridiculed a lot for my sense of imagination. Um, my parents did laugh at me for believing in Santa until I was 12 years old, like they had to tell me. And as an adult woman, I'll never forget my mom saying in front of a group of group of other people, like I was a grown woman, like I definitely was over 18 and, and saying, oh, we had to tell Christina too. She believed in Santa. And like, I had to tell her at 12 years old and ha ha ha. And I was old enough that I was able not to get, look, I don't know how I wasn't triggered, but I wasn't. And I, I remember staying there looking at her and feeling really sad for her, feeling really sad that she couldn't recognize I have a kid with such a huge sense of imagination. Like that's a gift to have that kind of imagination. It's like, and, and that's why I believe, because I am Catholic, I, I am a practicing Catholic, have in my entire life. And that's why I believe I have such a strong sense of faith. And that's why I real, I believe for someone that doesn't have a box, I have no box. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not going to control, I'm not going to box situation. But I do believe that's why I have such a strong faith as a Catholic, as, as a Christian woman. And, you know, I am one of those Catholics that it's kind of like, I always say, like, I'm kind of the, I'm like the, the exception to the rural Catholic. Cause I'm not one of those, well, the rules say this, like, I'm not that person. And I think a lot of the times when people have problems with communities, whether it's religion or others, it's because the people leading it like for example one of my good friends said to me when I it was Ash Wednesday and I personally like to go to mass to get my ashes that's me and she said she was opening up to me she's Filipino and she opened up to me about going to the Catholic high school and how strict it was and blah 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 and I went to Catholic high school and grammar school high school and whatnot had a very different experience but I'm listening to her and I'm thinking your problem is not with religion your problem is with the people that were forcing the religion on you and that's why too, when my mom ridiculed me for believing in Santa, like, honestly, if it wasn't for my open-mindedness, I could have walked away from my religion a very long time ago. But the reason why I am, and then I say that to people that have like, here, I'm Catholic. And I'm like, oh my God, you're Catholic. I'm like, no, no, I'm Catholic because I genuinely believe in the principles. Like I genuinely believe in that. And yes, I do. I do like our mass. Like I do. Do I agree with everything? No. There are, there are things that sometimes the priests say where I'm like, okay, I, I would do it this way, but I keep my mouth shut because you're respectful. It's like, if I don't like it, I can find another mass. I can find another church, you know? And it is, um, you know, it is, you always have a choice and responsibility, but I'm really there because I genuinely enjoy mass and I see it as an hour with my mom and grandma. And to me, it's, it's something beautiful and it does it does make me sad when people are like, oh, I haven't been to mass in a long time. I'm like, okay, you're fine. Like, it's okay. Like you're, you're okay. Like, trust me, the world is not going to crumble. Like I've been in periods of my life where I haven't been able to go from years another, it hasn't been in my mode. But when I started doing my ACA adult children of alcoholic work, that's when I, when I started it up again, the second time, cause I was going through, cause of the pandemic, I stopped like, cause every, you know, everything got shuffled. Mm -hmm. But when I started going again, I started going again because I was so frustrated with people and I felt so invisible. And I would say that to people, I feel invisible. And they're like, you're not invisible. You're not, but I'm like, yes, I am. Like, you're not listening. You're not communicating with me. And I thought, Christine, you got to get back into ACA, even though I'm not saying it's perfect, but like, you need to start doing your 12 step work again. And my 12 step work actually got me in a mode where I haven't missed mass and 
like two years now. And like, except when I'm away or, you know, it's only when I'm away in Europe, maybe that I miss it, but then I'm going to churches all the time. Cause I have this, I just love the architecture. So, but, um, mm-hmm. but again, like it does looping back to what we're talking about communication. That's the other piece of it too, is when we really are able to communicate with ourselves, we're able to take that step back and say, okay, why am I in comfortable situation? Why, why am I choosing not to be with these people? Why am I choosing to be with these people? And it is something more fulfilling. Now, if somebody tells me, okay, I don't believe in this, that's a totally different thing. And I'm respectful of that too, but that's another piece of communication too, knowing to respect someone. So not to go like a perfect example, one of my, one of my um, former coworkers, she, um, she said she didn't want to baptize her baby. I was like, okay. That's cool. And she looked at me like, what about you? I said, well, I'm Catholic. I would douse the child with holy water and I'd be running mm-hmm. the child to the to the church a month later. Are you kidding me? I'd be on the phone with the priest on the way home, be like, we're booking the baptism, right? And but I said, you know, that that's me though. Like I genuinely believe in the power of the holy water, but I I respect you because if you won't believe in it, it's a ritual. It's not gonna work. Like you have mm-hmm. to genuinely believe. And but again, that's where communication comes in that I felt, I feel like we're able to step back and respect each other and still have, I'm not saying like we, we, you have to be best friends with everybody. I'm not saying that, but it does give us a space to respect that and set boundaries or be welcomed into situations that may not be yours. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but um, yeah, because it is beautiful. Cause I have, I have family members that have very different points of views, but I can still spend time with them because we're all able to respect, okay, this works for you. It doesn't work for me. All right. You know, there are certain topics I don't talk about. Cause like, I know for me, like, I just generally don't like the, the road it takes, but then when it comes mm-hmm. to other things that I may not disagree with, I'm like, okay, you know, and it, it does give that again, back to that intimacy. It does give room for that intimacy because you are able to find connection points where you can speak to each other and relate to each other on a very, very deep level. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, the, the meat of your book. So tell us about Bella and what was your inspiration for her? Yes. So Bella's a main character. So originally that I was thinking, so when the books first started, ironically, I thought there would be four main characters because I'm named after my grandma. That's why I'm a Lucia. And the bear I originally designed that I still, I still create, I named her Lucy after my grandma. So my grandma was a Lucia. However, she went by Lucy. And then I made the boy bear Eddie. So that, oh, how great would it be? And Eddie is my grandpa's nickname. My grandpa's um, baptismal name, legal name is Henry. But my great grandma didn't speak English very well. So she'd say, Eddie, 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 which is Eddie, which is, excuse me, which is Henry in Italian. And so you got the nickname Eddie. So how magical would it be to have grandma and grandpa in every book? But then people kept grabbing toward, gravitating towards the elephant. So that's why I created the girl elephant. And I had two different, I actually still have two different girl, another girl elephant on my site as well. But people kept gravitating towards this color scheme. And I originally named Bella after my friend's little girl, Isabella, the nickname. But when I started writing the books, I realized that Bella had to be the sole main character because Bella's a child version of me. 
And the other piece of the puzzle too, is that Bella is actually also my nickname. Um, one of my coaches, one of my dance coaches actually started calling me Bella years ago. And all my dance coaches, not my male coaches, my female coaches, they call me either Bella or beautiful. So I, it's been my nickname long before I actually named the elephant Bella. I was just too shy to say, oh, it's my nickname. And I felt like, no, I need to put my friend, uh, make sure all my friends' kids are covered in the lineup. Like I have to be selfless about this. But when I started writing, I realized, oh my God, my friend's toddler is making me own with my own, my own inner child. Like this mm. is your nickname. And because I'm in New York City, when I'm out and about or even walking down the street, men call me beautiful all the time. Like it's a very, it's my other common nickname is beautiful. And I thought, no, the universe is already showing you this is you. Like they're, they are, the universe gave you this nickname. You have to own it. So I always joke that it took a two-year-old toddler to, uh, to help me identify with my inner child. And the other piece of identifying with my inner child is it also gave me the freedom to write. It gave me the freedom to write and not feel a responsibility to somebody else, a responsibility to myself. Because when you're writing, you, you want to be respectful of people. And similar to what we just talked about, about communication, about being in family situations where we weren't able to express our feelings, my, my healing work from my traumas made me realize that the lack of communication, the lack of feelings caused these traumas, but also kept them repeating in my life. And so when I sat down to write this series, I thought, okay, I want to create a series that's relatable. I want to write about things that we all go through. So if we strip away our religions, our, our nationality, sexual orientation, sexual genders, like you name it, the whole gamut, we all we all go from a crib to a big girl bed or a big boy bed. We all learn to read. We all learn to get dressed and, you know, really focusing on transitions and skills that we all go through. And again, I want to demonstrate the process of going through your feelings and getting support from loved ones, and then also helping other loved ones do that. And that's another piece of the puzzle too. So I actually learned this from a friend. Um, I was aware of it. But one of my friends actually pointed out, who's also an author, so she pointed out that most children's books are of animals. And if they're not of animals, they're usually of Caucasian people. And she's African-American, and she chose to write a book about an African-American girl and specifically focus on her hair. And when we talked about this, I said to her, you know, and I said, you know, honestly, I actually chose animals because I wanted a space where everyone felt welcome. and. I felt if I draw a Caucasian woman or a child, A, I'm not comfortable with cartoony characters. I'm much more, like I, I, I draw real people. My nephew is my favorite person to draw in the whole world. Like I, I love drawing Caleb, um, you know, but with animals, I felt again, I felt I had a freedom and I felt I had a freedom for every, I can't, I wanted to, I was actually thinking of this before when I was making tea before this, I was thinking, how would I say this? I'm like, I'm going to, it's my first time saying it everyone. So please bear with me if it doesn't come out right. I wanted to create a space where everyone is, everyone has a choice to feel welcomed and belonged. Because if I walk into it saying, I'm going to include everyone, it's a, it's a crapshoot. 
Like there's mm-hmm. always going to be some, like you're never going to, it's like cooking Thanksgiving dinner for everybody and expecting everybody to be happy. Like there's always going to be somebody, there's always going to be someone that's going to want that thing you didn't make or, you know, whatnot. So, but I thought, no, if I can create a space where people can make the choice themselves to feel welcome, where people can make the choice to adapt it to their own homes. I have a much more likely space of, of succeeding, of achieving my goal. And at the same time, the other reason I say that is I'm very feminine. I, I'm at home, at home, fine. I'll wear yoga pants, but out and about, I'm always in a tunic and leggings or a dress. I, oh, like I do say my prayers every night before I go to bed. So Bella is always in the dress of my illustrations. She says her blessings at the end of every book. And that's all. So that's the pieces of me. And I was actually given a hard time for using the word blessings. And mm-hmm. I, I stood by it. I said, no, I'm Christian. I'm Catholic. And I've spent a lot of my life apologizing and being careful about saying that I'm Catholic. And I didn't feel comfortable saying prayers. I felt that that was too specific because like I did want to make sure it was welcoming, but I felt like blessings. I was like, no, I, I want something there. And in the later books of the series, actually one will come out, actually, no, one will come out next year um, of it. So like, I'm a big Paris girl. I love Italy from an Italian family. So again, those are things I did choose to write about things I know, you know, in the book, I just finished illustrating book seven, Bella Grows a Garden. And my next door neighbor said, oh, is it a communal garden? Because we're in, we're in Jackson Heights, New York, where there's a lot of gardens and parks and whatnot. And like, you know, people really are serious about the gardens. I said, no, she's growing tomatoes and she makes gravy and they have a big dinner with pasta and bread. I was like, Bella's Italian. Like, but again, it's, that's what I know. And again, that's me celebrating my heritage, but at the same time, giving people that space to relate it. Oh, this is like when my, my grandma made hot sauce or, oh, this is like when we gather and have a quilting party, you know, it's, it's really about, yes, celebrating what I know, but also letting people feel welcome and, and adapting it to their families and their heritages, heritages. Excuse me, <laughs> I think that's, I think that's a beautiful sentiment and a wonderful thing to try to do. Thank you. So you also illustrate your story. I do. How, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. You write and illustrate. How does your art influence your story? Oh, it influences it so much because as I write, my brain starts percolating. And a lot of times the images come before the story. I I have to, and a lot of times I rewrite, I adjust my writing to fit when I'm imagining. And it is a balance of because this is the other thing too about illustrating my own books. I, I've been drawing since I was seven years old. I have degrees in the art. I, I've drawn, I do draw Disney characters. I've drawn Tony the Tiger. I've drawn Sesame Street and I draw, well, I'm, I'm a pretty advanced drawer um, to the point where people actually look at my Disney drawings and like even my Sesame Street and um, Tony the Tiger are like, are you kidding me? And you didn't, tra- I'm like, of course I didn't trace. This is me freehand. Of course. And they know it's freehand. They know me well. It's no, I would never, I would never plagiarize someone that's just against my, my, my will. It's against my spirit. And people are like, wow, like, I can't believe you do this from scratch. So when I went to illustrate my own books, I realized I need to find my own voice. 
like I can't replicate someone else's art. And so that was like a big piece of it is because a lot of times too, I realize when I've done Disney drawings, this is actually something I learned, especially from Disney drawings is that Disney is such a mega force of a brand that when people see Disney, they go right to the movie. They go right to the books they read. Da, da, da. They forget me. I immediately get overshadowed. It's very, like I said, it's maybe the only one friend that said it to me. It's like, I can't believe you drew this. Like, I can't believe you did this. Most people are like, oh my God, 101 Dalmatians. I love that movie, you know? And uh, so that was a big piece of starting to illustrate my own books is really giving myself that space to develop these characters and find my style. And the other piece of it too, is I struggled for so long finding a way I could make my creativity, my career. Like I was so afraid, how am I going to make a living? I was also afraid of control. Is someone going to control me? Is somebody going to kill my joy? Um, kill my joy because art has also been my savior for so many years like when you're it's, just, it's who I am like I can't help it I I'm also a dancer as well and like it is with all my art my dancing my my art my crochet my knitting there is also a discipline that goes into it in order to get good in order to reach a higher level in order to do that because like one of my um one of my family friends who I've known, she's known me since I was two years old. Like she's known me my entire life. She actually said to me, and I was actually really flattered about this. She's like, Christina, your knitting and crochet is so pristine. She's like, I can't do that. Like I get tired, but your stitches are so even and meticulous. And to me, Mrs. Tomachewski is like one of the most amazing women I know. Like I love going to her house. It's gorgeous. Everything is always so neat and tidy. And I'm like, oh my God, like I want to be when I grow up kind of a thing. And so hearing that from her. So that was like a big piece when I started illustrating. It's like, gosh, I really want, I really want to be the best you can be. But I also realized I also need to find my own voice. And, you know, and it, I, there are so many children's books I love. And even now I was slipping through, um, one of my favorites and I, for like ideas. And I thought, oh gosh, are my drawings good enough? Are they good enough? Uh, nope. Stop it. You're fine. You have to develop your own voice. You can't, <laughs> you can't copy everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> you need to do your own thing. <laughs> so you also draw pictures of roses in all of your books. What's mm -hmm. the significance of that? I love, I love roses. They're my favorite flower. They bring me so much joy. So Tell me about the roses. Oh gosh, yes. And I love the fact that your middle name is Rose. Like I was like, it's a sign. <laughs> so I'm a big believer in St. Teresa Little Flower, not St. Teresa Calcutta, St. Teresa Little Flower. St. Teresa Little Flower became a saint because she made it and she made a strong effort to be happy every day. And it's a lot easier to be sad or feel the negative feelings than it is to feel the positive feelings. And she became a saint because she made a point, made an effort to be, to make the choice to be happy. And mm -hmm. when you pray to her, which I do, I pray to her all the time. She sends you a sign of roses. And so whenever I see a rose, I know she's listening. And I know she's saying, hold on, we hear you. We're there for you. Um, the other the other piece of it, um, too, is that beyond St. Teresa is that I've, 
I've given her prayer cards to multiple people over the years, including my own mom. Um, my mom got very ill very fast in 2019 and passed like a week after we found out how sick she was. And mm -hmm. I had a, another friend whose mom was going through about a breast cancer and I bought them the two prayer cards that are always by my bedside. So I have Our Lady of Fatima and I have St. Teresa with a flower by my bedside. And so I bought the cards for this woman to give to her mom. And I, for one reason or another, I, I didn't see her, even though like our paths, like kept miscrossing and I kept carrying these cards. So when my mom got sick, I brought them out. And so the day she, I found how ill she was, was the day I gave my mom those cards and they were on her clipboard the entire time she was on the hospital. And when I saw this woman, I, she said, Christina, I'm so sorry. I said, no, thank you. Because if you, because you and your mom opened your hearts to me, because you let me support you as a friend, I went and got those cards. And if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have had those cards for my mother. And I do feel like there's something powerful about about St. Teresa, about those roses and the rose, I actually show it to you. It's, um, so this is, um, so every page has a rose. I don't know if you can see it has yeah, a rose at the it. top. Um, so that's actually a rose that I, the actual, the original illus, um, watercolor is my God is for my goddaughter. Um, I was bedazzling stickers with her a couple weeks for her birthday. And she told me roses are her favorite. And so I drew her that a watercolor of a rose. And so we went into designing the books. I said, I, I gave them two choices. One was a pencil and one was this one to see, you know, cause I always like giving people options when it comes to layout. And we chose, we said, no, I think the color, we, we agreed the color looks best. And that's the other piece of the puzzle too, is that that's my goddaughter's rose. And so I thought there was something beautiful about her knowing that there's a piece, something that I created for her and every book, but I do every time I pray St. Teresa and I actually have roses right here by me. I always have roses in my apartment. I really, I see them as a beautiful miracle. I see them as a sign always. I actually climbed to the top of the Duomo tower and there was a rose in, in the gate. Someone actually put a rose up there. Uh -huh. And like, so I see them everywhere. Like they, they come to me all the time and I've, I've shared them with other people, which has been really beautiful too. Like the cards, the roses, like it's, um, yeah, my favorite flower too. <laughs> That's really cool. So I know that you love coloring and you think it's super important. Why do you think kids and parents need to color together? Absolutely. I guess. So I believe, I believe strongly in coloring because it has the same health benefits for children as it has for adults it relaxes us, it calms us. And when we're relaxed and calm, we're able to touch into our feelings and we're able to have calmer conversations. You know, it's a lot, it's hard to talk when we're anxious, when we're frustrated, or even when we're super happy and excited. And when we have an activity that can calm us and level us, it's a lot easier for us to say things in a meaningful meaningful way that will be heard. The other reason for coloring is that it does tap into our inner children. Mm -hmm. It does allow us to come out and play. Play is not just for children. We need it too as an adult. And the other piece of the puzzle that I believe is so great for coloring is like, you know, I'm talking about all of this, like how I crochet and I knit. There is, yes, it's playful, but there's also discipline. 
but I can also see someone listening to you and being like, well, that's great, Christina, but I haven't been drawing since I was seven years old. I can barely draw a circle. How am I, how am I going to be creative on a daily basis? And so I see it as a welcoming tool that I can offer, that I can offer you and your family that you can all do without intimidation, that you can all feel good. It's an activity that we can all feel good about. It's not an activity where we feel like, oh, we have to be like the Martha Stewart of coloring. Like, no, it's coloring. We can all color. We can all play with it. And then the other flip side of it is, you know, if you are working on something with your child, like if you are, or even yourself, like if you're, it's a great way to play in other ways. Like for example, like if your child is learning how to use scissors, it's a great way to practice that, you know, it's a great way to infiltrate other lessons. Like I was on another friend's podcast and her, her message is all about teaching your kids, kids how to budget. So we talked about laying out different coloring supplies. And if one set of markers runs out, you know, and it happens that I know I did as a kid, it's like, you want those markers. And then, you know, that opens up the door for a conversation about budgeting. It's like, well, no, we have to use this or we have to be, you know, more careful about it. Cause like as a grown woman, you know, again, like that's how ideally we evolve. Like when I'm in the art store, it's so easy to go crazy. It's so those bells and whistles. And honestly, like as an artist, I can tell you right now, my water containers are old. Like, I think there were old cheese containers at some point. I think one's a cheese container that I washed out. Like you mm-hmm. don't need the fancy, fancy crap. Like, and when you walk, even in art stores that I go to, cause I go in cause I need certain things. Like people will make money. They'll make money. Like there are so many things I see where I'm like, this is so silly. You don't need this. You don't want to spend $5 on this. You don't need that. And you know, it's easy to go, go crazy in these stores. And, you know, again, coloring is low cost it's accessible and i do have a coloring drawing for your audience which i'll share too i'll uh i definitely have uh i love sharing those with you so i'm sure i get you the link so everyone can um, access it you know but there is um there is something about that there's something low-key about that and it gives that opportunity for so many beautiful conversations just for us to play and have fun as well Yeah, I color I color with my daughter sometimes. We do diamond painting. And you'd be surprised at the important conversations that we have while we're just sitting there doing something like that. Because mm-hmm. her mind is relaxed. I'm relaxed. She feels comfortable asking me questions about life and about relationships and about people and things like that. We've had some of our most important conversations over a coloring book or a diamond painting project. Yeah, so. I, I believe it because it does. It just, it, uh, it soothes us you know, it gets us mm-hmm. going, you know, and at the same time, I, I realize that every kid's going to come on color, but again, it's about what it's doing. So if that doesn't work for you and your child, you know, there are other options. Like I always joke about my nephew because you know, he's two years old, you know, so I get it. Like he's a little too young, although he does scribble, which I think is adorable. And I love he, my sister sends me cards with his scribbles. I'm like, oh my God. Like to me, it's a Picasso. I'm like, this is beautiful. I'm going to save it forever. And, uh, which I will. And I have, um, but my brother-in-law actually pointed out to me where he said, yeah, my quality time with Caleb is when I had the ride on lawnmower and I'm doing the lawn full sit on my lap mm-hmm. and that's our quality time. And so that's the thing too. It's really about, even though we are talking specifically about coloring, 
it's really about, okay, my kid won't sit in color. What do I do? And it's like, okay, what activity calms us and allows us to spend time together and allows them to feel comfortable to talk to me? And what works for one will not work for the other. Like I'm the oldest of three and we're all so different. And, you know, it's funny because when my siblings said, everyone says we're all so different. I'm like, that's every family. <laughs> Give me a family where every kid's the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's every family. But that's the other thing too. And that's why I, when I talk about the coloring drawings I create and that, that I have available for your audience, like I like to preface that, you know, it doesn't have to be strict coloring. It could be a piece of your collage. It could be, you know, it can we turn to so many things. And that's why my coloring drawings, you'll see like on the current one, it, um, it's, um, Bella with a four leaf clover for Valentine for Valentine's for St. Patrick's day. And I'm about to do the Easter drawing. I had to get that done this week, but I purposely don't do backgrounds in my coloring drawings, just Bella with an object or an activity. Because again, I want to give you and your child that space to add things. And that could be another conversational point because every, everyone has something beautiful to bring to the table and having the space to be able to have that space, to be able to create is really powerful too. No, that's really awesome. And uh, last question, because we need to wrap up pretty soon. Yeah. What, <laughs> what are some of the family traditions that you have that you incorporate into your work? Oh my gosh, so many. So one of the biggest ones is actually going to be book six of this series this year. Uh, so when I was nine years old, my mom got this idea to do a cookie bake and deliver it to relatives. Well, I've been doing this cookie bake for 30 plus years now, mm -hmm. and I love it. I've It's evolved where, yes, I've changed some of the, I took over when I was 16. It was passed on to me. And even though I'm here in New York, I actually do two rounds. So I do a round for my New York people. And then I do a round for my family and friends in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And so Bella does that. And when of her books, she bakes cookies for her friends. And there's something beautiful about that because Bella bakes the cookies for her friends because she wants to give them a special gift. And that's one of the main reasons why I bake not only at Christmas, but through the year, I see it as a gift. I see it as a gift for people in my life that I'm friends with people that I, that do nice things for me, people that I'm connected to, et cetera. And there's something really beautiful about that. And of course I do make the pasta. I do make the ravioli and my gravy. And so in the, in the, in the, um, Bella's garden book, that's why I was like, she's going to tomato garden. That's what she's doing. She's going tomatoes and because that's what I know. I'm not the gardener in the family, but I'm the cook and I am one of the cooks. And so I, I felt that tradition because my mom would have like shutdowns in the kitchen when it was like, when um, the tomatoes are in season is typically August is usually like the best month to get tomatoes and does make a difference in your gravy. And my mom would have like all four burners loaded with pots, boiling down tomatoes and straining them. And of course she had the second freezer, which as you know, as so I'm sure someone in the audience has a family member that does that. Like it's a sign of wealth. Like you need to have food stocked up for like 12 months in advance, you know, otherwise like, what are you doing? And, um, so that was like really beautiful. And my grandma always had a pot of gravy every Sunday on the back right burner. Like mm -hmm. I can still 
smell it. I can still imagine it. So being able to incorporate those little things into my, into my books is really beautiful because those are pieces of my mom and loved ones that are above us now. And I feel, I feel it gives them a second life. I feel it gives them a second life to let them live through those moments. No, that really is beautiful. So where can we find out more about you and about your work? Absolutely. Yes. So I do have a website and I'll be sure to send you all the links. So it's easy for you. I like to do that thank you email with all the links. So my website is www.triplecokl.com. I'm also on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook and whatnot, Pinterest, LinkedIn, although I Instagram I'm the most active on. It gets so tricky because with the uh, with the pressure of all the reels and whatnot, like I tend to mm-hmm. lean more towards Instagram right now. Um, but yes, I am available on all of those. My website is pro- is definitely the best route because I do have an email list. I do have a newsletter that I put out regularly because I am a blogger as well. I write two different blogs in addition to my series and I always send updates. And, you know, I mentioned before the coloring drawing that I have for your audience. Like I do regularly create new freebies. And so if you're on my email list, I always include those in my newsletter so you always have access to the freebies and I'm a planner. So I also have it on my website. So if you're like, oh, wait, I want this like in advance of the holidays so I can plan stuff out. I'm like, I got you covered. I got it. I got all the holidays covered. I promise you. And uh, yeah, <laughs> good, good, good times. Good times. No, thank you. That's awesome. Thank you for coming on and just sharing your work yeah. with us. Oh, no. Thank you for having me and giving me the space to share my journey. And I really means so much to me. I'm so grateful for you and everybody else that's giving me the space to live my dream and giving me the space to, to grow and to make it work. Like I have really big dreams and I really, I really believe it's individuals like yourself that are making these dreams possible because you're giving me the outlets to climb that mountain. And so I'm very grateful to be here. Awesome. I'm glad to have you. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any health, parenting, or life advice. For my freebie, 30 Ways to Relieve Pain Without Taking a Pill, go to ithurtstomom.com slash tips. If you have comments, suggestions, or want to be on this podcast, email me at ithurtstomom at gmail.com. I wish everyone a blessed and pain-free day.